Hey everybody and welcome to Coach's Corner. I have an amazing talk with my good friend Mike Robbins who, and I acknowledge him for this in the interview, he's excellent at really combining practical advice with heartfelt advice. He works a lot in the corporate world and the workplace, teaching people how to be more authentic, more vulnerable, so they actually like and enjoy work even more. In this interview, we talk about bringing your whole self to work. So if you're ready to unlock more creativity, build stronger relationships, and improve your performance at work, and actually like it better, then you're going to love this interview. And even if you don't work in the corporate world, you don't work with other people, I still feel like this is a valuable interview for you to listen to because what we're basically talking about is communication. And all of us sometimes are more strategic in our communication than we are authentic. And all of us have had relationships where we aren't bringing our whole self to them. We're wearing a mask. We feel inhibited in some way. We feel like we can't speak up, can't speak our truth. So this interview is really about how to bring your whole self, not just to work, but to any relationship. I think you'll really enjoy it. And be sure to check out Mike's new book, Bring Your Whole Self to Work. There's a link in that in the show notes. And you get some great bonus gifts when you click that link. So enjoy my talk with my good friend, Mike Robbins. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. And I was just thinking as I press record here, you're somebody who I've known a while. We're always supporters of each other's work. We have our friend catch up and we've never met in person. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. We keep having near misses that I uh, I, we got it. One, one of these days we'll actually see each other exactly. in the same room. <laughs> exactly. We'll see our, we'll see our whole selves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is such a cheesy segue to my next yes. question. <laughs> you are writing, which which number book is this? Like your 17th? No, it's number four. Number four, number four. Bring your whole self to work. How vulnerability, which is a big topic on this show, unlocks creativity, connection, and performance. Yeah. I love this title. And the first question I want to ask is why this book? Well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, my, my previous books, I wrote a book on appreciation and then I wrote a book on authenticity and I wrote a book on self-compassion and all three of my first three books were very personal focused, personal growth focused, which it's a big part of the work that I do. Although over the last 17 years, Christine, as I've been coaching and speaking, most of the work I do is inside of organizations and corporations, big companies bring me in to speak and I work with a lot of teams and leaders and I'd never actually had written a book specifically about that work. And I was realizing more and more over the years as I've been doing this work that like, I always kind of felt like I was personally kind of walking into worlds, the personal and the professional and sort of trying to navigate that for myself. But so much of what I talk to and speak to about when I'm in the corporate world is like, how can we actually show up authentically with our whole selves at work and not just leave some of it at home. So it felt like it was time for me to put that down on paper and actually write a book about it. And what do you mean by whole self? Well, I mean, like who we really are. Like, you know, if you and I are just talking just for real, me and you, just friends, getting real about whatever's going on in our life and our business and just for real, like all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Do you know what I mean? Like not just the... uh polished up version that we like to uh, put on Instagram or on our resume, but the real stuff. So does that mean if I have a fight with my spouse or my boyfriend or my daughter or whatever, 
of which I have none of those things. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, hypothetically, yes, hypothetically, uh, speaking. hypothetically speaking, I'm supposed to come to work and like share about that. I'm supposed to. Well, yeah, it could be that. I okay. mean, look, hopefully, you know, there's a lot of research that shows if people have a best friend at work or at least one person, hopefully more, but at least one person that they really trust and can confide in, they're much more likely to be engaged in their job. They're much more likely to stay. They're much more likely to be productive. Um, so yeah, it can definitely be that we show up at work and we have that one person, or maybe it happens to be our manager, our boss, maybe it happens to be our team. You know, again, maybe we work for ourselves or we're part of a small business or company, but some ability that, you know, you don't have to share all the personal details of your life, but like if you do have a fight with your significant other or you have a sick parent or something going on with one of your kids or just life is happening as it does, you know, trying to sort of check that at the door and mm -hmm. just come in and do our work. You know, we can do that to some degree, but over time it's not sustainable and it becomes really unhealthy for us personally. And, you know, I remember actually I was at an event, um, down in Silicon Valley at Google and I was talking to a group of managers and after I got done speaking, this woman came up to me and she said, you know, for the longest time, I always thought it was like, inappropriate for me to ask people about their personal lives. And I just kept it very per professional with my team. And then I realized I don't think that was working so well. So I started to ask my team and our one-on-ones, just some sort of basic, but kind of personal questions. And she said, one of the questions I started asking was, are you happy? Mm -hmm. And she said, the first time I asked that question, half the people on my team literally burst into tears. Wow. And she was like, wow, they weren't happy. They were really stressed out. And I had no idea because I wasn't willing to engage with them like that. And she said, and once I started asking those types of questions and they started opening up more with me, I found that they were less stressed out. I was more connected to them and it made me and them and all of us much better at our jobs. So, okay. I have, I have so many questions about that. One, like, how do you be a manager like that? Two, how do you start to do it? But let's start with how do you know you're not bringing your whole self? Like what are the key indicators that Oh, you're not. Well, one of them is, I mean, look, I think a lot of us are tired and exhausted for a lot of different reasons. But I think if you notice that whatever work you're doing and the people you're doing it with, if it takes a lot of energy, you know, that kind of energy that you feel like, I think of it like going to a, like a networking event where you're, you know, Hey, I, hi, hi, I'm so-and-so I do that. You know, that feeling yeah. that you have, at, even me as an extrovert, like I get tired after those kind of events where I feel like I'm sort of schmoozing. Because even though I really love connecting with people, there's something that's kind of inherently inauthentic about that type of environment. And if you come home from work or whatever type of work you do, and you find that you have that exhausted feeling like I was performing all day, mm. that's a good indicator that like, oh, what was I not saying or doing or not bringing or not expressing? Um, you know, and, and if also it seems like there's a lot of conversation behind the conversation. You know what I mean? Conversations mm -hmm. about, well, I'm going to talk to so-and-so, what should I say? Or rehearsing it with your friend or your spouse or so-and-so. You know what I mean? Again, that's part of life and we do that. But if there's a lot of that going on, it's probably a good sign that there's, you know, some of, if not a good part of your whole self that you're not bringing to work. I also feel like, and I hear this a lot from people that I coach or people on the show, there's a couple things. There's the people pleasers. Yep. that are afraid to kind of speak up and have boundaries. And they often end up being a bit of the doormats at work, you know, yep. like the people that end up picking up other people's slack. And yep. then there's examples of people who, you know, have an idea, but don't speak up at a meeting are like, mm -hmm. are afraid to speak up, are afraid to share ideas. I'm um, kind of just like play by the rules. 
You know, men there are, you know, just completely compartmentalizing and hating your job and blaming it all on the job right. and taking no responsibility for how you show up. So yep. can you just kind of riff on some of those? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was okay, the people pleasing thing, which I can definitely personally relate to. Um, I think that one can be tricky because right, we want everyone to like us. Mm-hmm. We want everyone to approve of us. We want everyone to tell us that we're great. You know, and and one of the things that I love the saying, and whenever I catch myself worrying too much about what other people think about me, which I do, I always try to remember that great phrase. And I don't even know who said it was, you wouldn't worry so much about what other people think about you if you realize how little they actually did. Exactly. Right. Because if everyone's paying attention to themselves and look, it's tricky and it runs deep for us for a lot of different reasons. And this can also be different for men and women. It can be different when we're at different stages in our life, different ages, different roles that we play inside, you know, whatever organization or whatever company we may work for, what kind of work we do. But I think that, you know, part of what you can do if that's an issue, and it's an issue for a lot of people, is just start to own it, start to speak up about it. I mean, even being willing to, you know, look, most in most work environments in today's world, there is some awareness, if not a significant awareness that growth and development is important. So what I often mm-hmm. say to people is like, look, if there's something you're working on, like a quality you're wanting to develop or some quality that is challenging, like the people pleasing thing, be willing to tell people, like tell your boss, your manager, look, I have this thing where like, I want to say yes all the time because I want to be a pleaser. I want you to like me. I'm working on that. Can you help me with that? Can you point it out if you see me doing it? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like, so we don't have to like, yes, it's our responsibility. But the paradox is like, we can't look, that's why people call into your show. That's or listening to your show. That's why you coach people and they listen and they go, wow, I want to like learn. We all need coaches. We need mentors. We need advisors. We need people to point stuff out. So again, we can utilize our team, our peers. We can utilize our manager if we have enough trust with them and say, hey, here's what I'm working on. And that's one of the things, whether it's people pleasing or anything else. You know, the other one that you were talking about in terms of, you know, being afraid to speak up or, you know, whatever the case may be in terms of having an idea. Look, one of the things, you know, I don't mean to just keep using (laughs) Google as an example, but they're a client of mine and a great company and a great example. I know you've done some work at Google as Mm -hmm. well. They create a really healthy, safe environment where people can be innovative. And one of the things that Google found, they did a study a few years back that I'm sure you probably heard about and a lot of people did called Project Aristotle. They studied for three years, they were trying to solve for what are the things that create the conditions for high performance for teams? Like what needs to be in place for a team to really perform at the highest level? And they studied within their own company and then looked at data and sort of metadata from all these studies around the world in different industries. And what they came back with after three years of studying this was five key components that go into creating the conditions for high performance. And the number one component is what they call psychological safety. And what psychological safety is, is basically trust at a group level. Mm. It means, right? It means I feel safe on this team, part of this group that like I can have an idea, even if it's a terrible idea (laughs) and I'm not going to be ridiculed for it. I can make a mistake. You and I can have a disagreement. We can even have a conflict. We can look different, act different, speak different. We don't have to all, you know, be exactly the same. And I'm not going to get kicked out of the group. I'm not going to get made fun of or ostracized for Mm. mistakes, for failures. And so the thing is, Look, if that doesn't exist on your team and maybe let's say you're an individual contributor or you're more junior on the team, it can be more challenging. But there are things that we can do to create a more psychologically safe environment. And one of the things we can do is to be more honest, be more real, be more vulnerable. We can speak up or if we don't feel like it's safe for us to bring up ideas again, maybe in a one on one setting, say, look, sometimes I have ideas I want to bring up, but it doesn't feel like I can or 
people want to hear from me or whatever. And we can start kind of working that edge for ourselves, if you will, building that muscle. But a lot of times, again, it's our own fear. It's our own doubt. It's our own insecurity that we think if we have a bad idea or we make a mistake, like everyone's going to laugh at us and they're going to think we're stupid or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the reality is they're really not going to pay that much attention, quite frankly. And, you know, the more we're willing to risk and fail, even though that's a scary, painful process, then the better we get at being willing to do that. Well, what's more scary and painful in the long term is being unhappy at a place you spend the majority of your time, which is work. So I know people might be listening and part of them is like hearing you. And then part of you, part of them is going, but you don't know my boss. Right. You don't know where I work. (laughs) Right. Listen, I hear that a lot. Easy for you to say, I don't work at Google. Right. So what do you want to tell those people? How can we reassure them and give them some direction? Well, look, I mean, one thing, you're right. I don't know your boss and you might work in an environment, you know, I mean, look, over the years, Christine, I mean, I've literally spoken and been inside of organizations, I mean, from the IRS to, you know, companies in Silicon Valley to big banks to small nonprofits to, I mean, you, I've been in a lot of environments now, clearly not in every single one. And when someone comes to me and says, this all sounds good, Mike, but I can't do that with my boss or I can't do that in my job or you don't know what it's like. And people, if you step out of line where I work, it's, a you know, all Mm -hmm. this. And my response is, first of all, okay, I don't know exactly what it's like, but what I say is, okay. If you have a really difficult boss or a difficult environment where you work, it's most likely that you're not going to work for this person and in this environment for the rest of your life. Yeah. How about the last difficult person you're ever going to work with or challenging environment you're ever going to be in? So if you're willing and look, people listening to the show, one of the things I know about everybody who's hearing me talk right now and you talk is they're committed to their own growth. They're committed to their own journey, Right. That otherwise they wouldn't be listening to us. So like take it on as a growth opportunity. Okay, what can I learn from this person? How can I have this situation benefit me? This is right. What I talk about in Bring Your Whole Self to Work is what we call growth mindset, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, so this person in my judgment is a jerk or is insensitive or is rude or demanding or impossible or whatever fill in the blank judgment we have of them, right? Let's just imagine a year from today, you're no longer working for this person. You're not reporting to them anymore. Or maybe you or have a different job in the company. You go somewhere. Something happens, right? But if you started, made a commitment today, I'm going to take this on like a personal growth journey and opportunity. And at the end of this year, whatever happens, I don't know the circumstance by which I'm not going to be working for or with this person anymore. If I can honestly say you know, I'm, I don't know, let's say 15% less stressed out and more effective at dealing with not only this difficult person, but any difficult person that I interact with, would that then be a valuable relationship? Mm. Right. It could be. And again, I mean, I don't mean to minimize it or sugarcoat it. It sometimes can suck and be really hard when we're right in the midst of a situation or a relationship, particularly with someone we work with closely or the person who basically, you know, has power over us in the dynamic where we work. However, there's so much growth opportunity in that if we're open to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's about taking responsibility too. And, and at some point, if you're really in a toxic environment and your job is awful, you need to question why you're still there. And if the mindset is, well, I can't find something else, I, again, that's a limiting belief. There's, there's always change. Change can always be made either internally or externally. But there's also the question wherever you go, there you are. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, years ago I was talking to Eleanor, who's my 
spiritual counselor who I still work with and love. And I was complaining to her about some people who were really getting on my nerves. And she listened to me talk for a few minutes and this person, that person, this person. And she, and then she waited. She's a really great listener. And she's kind of one of these, she just cuts right to it. And she says to me, okay, Mike, I've listened to you complain for a while, about all these people are frustrated and you can get on your nose. I totally get it. She said, but I have a really important question to ask you. And I said, what's that? She said, who's always at the scene of the crime? Mm. I was like, what? She's like, who's the common denominator in all those relationships and all those situations you were just complaining about? And I was like, oh, me. And she Mm -hmm. said, that's right. She said, you keep thinking that if this person did this and this person did that and this other person, she said, it would all work out. She's like, it doesn't work that way. In fact, it works the other way around. She said to me, nothing changes until you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it wasn't like I'd never heard that phrase before or that concept. I mean, I definitely had, and I've been teaching that myself, of course, you know, but I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, I am like wasting so much time and energy complaining about people and things. And again, it comes back to that place of like, yes, people have influence on us. Yes, sometimes the work environment we are can be challenging or people or the boss or whoever, but ultimately it's us, right? And we could quit our job right today and go to someplace else. And if that thing that we haven't really worked out within ourselves doesn't get worked out, it's going to show up some other way from some other person if we're not willing to deal with it. It's so true. It's so true. And anything, our work, our relationship, our health, it, any challenges we have in any of those areas are always invitations to deeper work. They're totally. always a reflection. You know, I learned in my spiritual psychology school, external reality is a re- is reflection of internal reality. So whatever we're seeing on the outside, there's something on the inside. So if you have a terrible mean boss, is that triggering a terrible mean parent? Or is that a reflection of your own inner critic? You know, where are you that way to yourself? So it's like, when we have that growth mindset, and that's why I love your book, is because it's very practical in terms of how yeah. to bring these things into the work environment, but it brings the responsibility back to the person. And yeah. that's where we find where we find our empowerment. Absolutely. You know, and for a lot of people listening to us, Christine, I, I mean, I think that one of the things that I know about a lot of us who've been on our path of growth and discovery and whatever it might look like, sometimes there's a, a limiting belief or a story that we have that like, well, I might be able to do that. You know, I listen to this podcast or I read this book or I go to this retreat or this seminar or this place where there's quote unquote like-minded people. And then I go back to work, but I can't really do that here at work, right? Mm-hmm. I have to like keep that under wraps. I have to, you know, or again, or maybe someone's a, you know, a coach or they come in and do some work inside, but I have to be very professional because I want them to take me seriously. And all of that I get, and I've lived all of that myself and still deal with it in my life. And at the same time, I just think that's a cop out. I think that, right, the world right now as it is really needs any and all of us who are awake to really show up and to be there and to be the one. And and people say to me, well, you know, I'm not in charge or they don't listen to me or I just started six months ago or I just got out of college or whatever they say. And I'm like, I understand you may not have the title of, you know, CEO or, you know, VP of this or that. Okay, but you can still have influence. Yeah. And if you're interested in this kind of work, which again, everyone listening to us is like, I think we have a certain amount of responsibility to bring it forth in whatever authentic way we can to influence the environment, right? Because what is any group of people, whether it's a team or a company or a family or a, a church group or anything, yeah. right? It's, it's made up of a group of individuals who all buy into a bunch of sort of collective ideas about how we operate. And it only changes when a small number of people say, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a different way or a better way we could do this. Yep. And they're willing to be courageous enough to put that forward, even if there's initially some resistance. And then over time, people tend to follow if it makes sense. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, we mentioned it earlier, is is vulnerability. And you write in the book, being vulnerable gives other people permission to do the same and opens up the possibility of real human connections. Yeah. So let's come at this in two ways. So there are people listening who perhaps are our managers, our bosses, are the leaders. Mm-hmm. How do they create this? And and how much is too much? You know, yeah. what's is there oversharing? <laughs> and how do you be vulnerable but still be respected as a leader? Yeah. You know, I have one um person I work with and he runs a major company mm-hmm. and he's dealing with something personal that he's kept a secret for a yeah. very long time. And I've, you know, I never tell my clients quote unquote what to do, but sure. we've explored the possibility of you know, this could impact how you're showing up and them not knowing they may be making misinterpretations. Whereas if you're vulnerable with this, it gives an opportunity for a deeper level of understanding and connection and could actually really help the whole culture. But he's afraid of looking weak. Sure. Well, it's looking, it's tricky. I mean, I think for a lot of us, for a lot of different reasons, I mean, most of us have been taught, you know, directly or indirectly that vulnerability is weakness. And we all have our strategies, particularly in our professional lives, to protect ourselves from looking weak, from being taken advantage of, and, and all of the things. And, and, for, and for understandable reasons, um, that said, I mean, I love the definition of vulnerability that Brene Brown uses. She says vulnerability is emotional exposure, risk, and uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. And you think about emotional exposure, risk, and uncertainty, can you think of anything meaningful or important? you've ever accomplished or experienced in your life personally or professionally that did not involve emotional exposure, risk, or uncertainty? No. No, right? I mean, it's part of the deal. So, I mean, at some level, we have to realize that, yes, it feels uncomfortable when we're being vulnerable and it's necessary for us to grow, for us to learn, for us to accomplish and experience the things that we want to. That said, as a leader, when I'm coaching leaders or working with leaders, my invitation, my challenge to them is look, the more real and vulnerable you're willing to be, the more space and permission you create for your team. Yeah. Because it's like 10 times harder for someone who works for, for someone. So again, if let's say, Christine, you're my boss, you're my, you know, you're the leader. And I, if you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's not that I can't, it's just going to take an enormous amount of courage on my part to be vulnerable with you right. if you don't go first, right? Now that doesn't mean there are times, again, for leaders, particularly senior leaders or like a head, someone who runs a company like your client, there are things both about the business that's going on that they can't and shouldn't be sharing with lots of people, right? It's not appropriate for, you know, let's say a company, a big company has you know, a hundred, 500, a thousand, you know, 10,000 people. It's like, you, you know, you're making decisions about what are we going to do and how are we going to do this and how are we going to optimize the business? And maybe we're going to buy another company or, I mean, that's not sort of public information, so to speak. And especially you get to a really big level, public, publicly traded company. I mean, those things, you could go to jail for sharing certain things that are going on, right? That said, in every manager in every company, however big or small it is, there's certain information. Again, you have information. If you're the boss and I work for you, you have information about other people and about stuff that's going on that you can't share with me. And if you do, it's not only sort of ethically a problem, it actually breaks down trust amongst mm-hmm. the whole team, right? That you, it's also important that, you know, you have stuff going on in your life personally, you can choose not to share that with everybody. However, there's still ways to be vulnerable and be real about your experience, about how you're feeling, about what's going on, about who you are, about your personal story that the more willing you are to share those things, the more permission it gives to other people. And I think in terms of the line, 
you know, I remember speaking to a group of startup founders a few years back and I was talking about the importance of vulnerability and they were kind of not buying it and they were pushing back on me a bit. And it was a little, you know, as it sometimes is. And this one guy says to me, wait a minute, you're telling me like I'm going into a pitch meeting and we're trying to raise money and I'm supposed to be vulnerable with the venture capitalists. And I'm like, no, I'm not actually saying that necessarily. I'm not saying you can't. Here's what I am saying, though. If you're feeling nervous and uncomfortable and insecure going into that meeting, I hope you have someone, if not a group of people in your life who you can be real and vulnerable with before you walk into that meeting, yeah. because otherwise all of that fear and doubt and insecurity is going to get all over all of those VCs yeah. and they're probably not going to say yes. Right, right. Right. And he was like, oh, OK. So that's a lot of times, too, for leaders and companies. Make sure you have a coach, a mentor, a group, a small group of, of advisors that you really can be real with. So that you show up not with a phony mask per se with your team or with the company, but again, appropriately sharing different things or choosing not to, but doing it in an authentic way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I want to share. Can I share a vulnerability story? Yeah. Yeah. So you reminded me of this. Um, I've taught my signature retreat for, I don't know, since 2008 or so. And it always is sold out. It always has a wait list. There's really only supposed to be 20. We push it to 30 people every year. And this past spring was going to be the last year I was teaching it because there were two women there that I've been training for years and they were going to take it over. And we were at lunch on, I think, the second to last day. And they said to me, the two that I was training, and then there were other two assistants there, um, Christine, like, we can't, we can't do this. Like, you need, you have to keep doing this, but you need to make it bigger. Like the answer isn't passing this on. The answer is make this like a hundred person event, like take it big, put it in a hotel room. Like this is your zone of genius. Like don't stop. Mm. And as much as that sounds good, like sounds like something that would be great to hear. Yeah. I found myself getting really uncomfortable and yeah. there was a part of me that wanted to seem like the leader and go, okay, you're right. Let's talk about that. But instead, I said, you know what? I'm feeling really uncomfortable. Let me give me, let me check in. Like, what's this about? And I got quiet and I actually started to get tears in my eyes. And I said, you know what, guys? I'm afraid I can't sell out a big event. Like, mm. I'm afraid, I'm afraid it'll fail. Like, what if we can't yeah. fill the room? Right. And it was that moment of vulnerability that opened a tremendous conversation with my team. Yeah. And if I had judged myself as weak for sharing that, then one, I would have kept inside my authentic feelings. Yep. And two, I wouldn't have had that kind of one release. You know, it was so good to speak it out loud sure. to the people that I trust and to my team. And, and also like it started a whole conversation with all of us. Like it just deepened yep. our connection. Yeah. And I think we put too much pressure on ourselves when we're in any kind of leadership or managerial position that we're supposed to just have it all figured out right. all the time and that we can't rely on someone that's quote unquote below us yeah. because there isn't an above or below. Like even no. though, you know, my team is in a lot of ways there to support me, they're, they're my equals as human yep. beings. And we don't need to put ourselves above just because we're a boss. Because I find too many times people do that. Do you, yeah. do you see that happening too? All the time. And I think to your point, and it's, it's such a, I appreciate you sharing that. It's such a beautiful example of that. Because look, at some level, even you think about your own team, like the role that you play 
is in a way the people on your team are there to support you. So there is a difference. And in companies of any kind, there's a hierarchy, right? Again, there's a CEO of the company and all the people in the different levels. However, what you said, and you said something really simple, but poignant is as human beings, there is no hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so what I see leaders that really get that they understand and respect and appreciate the role that they play and where they sit in the larger scheme of whatever the business is trying to do, but realize that every human being sitting around the table or who's part of the team or, and whatever, you know, role that they have is valuable and is important. And we can learn from and be supported by anybody. You know, one of the things when I go and, and work with teams, a lot of times, one of my favorite things to do is spend a half day or a full day or even sometimes a couple of days with like a leadership team. And, you know, one of the exercises that we do, and I talk about this in detail and bring your whole self to work is this is an exercise I learned from some mentors of mine years ago um, named Rich and Yvonne Dutra St. John, who started a great organization called Challenge Day. And they actually do this program in middle schools and high schools all over the world. But the exercise is one that is a practice of vulnerability, of authenticity. And I'll always start, and I kind of set the context, and we've spent some time talking about the importance of vulnerability and, and what it means and all of that. But it's basically, everybody has just a couple minutes, and I always start and go first. We go around the group and to just repeat the phrase, if you really knew me, mm-hmm. you didn't know this about me, right? And you just, so it's like in the moment, if you lowered the water line on your iceberg, so to speak, if you took the mask off, if you really told the truth, like you did to your team in that moment, here's what's going on. Just check in with yourself. And again, I always start and it's not a rehearsed thing. It's not a, like, I'm going to say this and that. It's just like, how am I right in, right in that moment? What's true for me? And what's amazing as we, you know, oftentimes in the exercise, sometimes people are a little uncomfortable, awkward with it. It's a, it's a bit risky. These are, you know, sitting around with people that they work with. They don't normally have conversations like this, you know. But what I find is that it's such a humanizing experience. And sometimes, you know, again, you could have the CEO of a company or the VP of the the big leader of the team that, you know, there's some tears or there's some expression or there's some talking about what's going on at home or how they're really feeling. And what's amazing is, you know, even the person sitting in the group who might be the executive assistant who isn't technically sort of an equal member of the team with, you know what I mean? In that, in the terms of what, what their roles and their titles are, you start to realize like everybody has wisdom and everybody has a story and everybody is just dealing as best they can with being a human being and managing all the different aspects of their lives as best as they can. And, you know, I self-servingly, one of the reasons why I've always been drawn to this kind of work is because I've always been from the time I was a little kid, always just looking around and wondering like, is anyone else feeling all this stuff I'm feeling yeah. inside? How come no one's talking about it? Like, am I crazy or what the hell's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like when we can appropriately and in a safe, effective, real kind of way, bring that stuff out, you realize like, oh no, I'm not crazy. I'm just human. And so is everybody else. And like, what if we didn't spend and waste so much time and energy trying to perform for each other and we just actually connected with each other? Yeah. And what about for the people that aren't the boss? but would love to bring, yeah. you know, more vulnerability, but feel like, you know, how is it my place? How do I create this? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, that in that situation, you have less quote unquote influence in terms of the position that you hold. However, there's also less pressure. So in some cases, it can actually ironically be a little easier, it has different sets of challenges. When you're the boss, the challenge is I got to be in charge. I got people have to, you know, take me seriously. I have to have credibility. If I'm an individual contributor, I'm not the boss or I'm someone that's like, hey, that's not really my job. No one's really looking at me to do that. Then it's a process of building alliances with other people 
right? Not sitting, look, the opposite of it is we go out to lunch and we whine and complain and commiserate about the Mm -hmm. boss or about the company or about whatever. That's the antithesis of of what's needed if we're going to really have influence. But part of it is just like, how can we show up, right? I mean, it's the sort of Gandhi principle, right? Be the change. What do I want? What do I want to see from my boss, from my team, from my company? I want people to be more fill in the blank, kind, compassionate, committed, responsible, you know, excited, whatever, just like, oh, start modeling that. Right. And the the other thing that I find, and I say this to people all the time when I'm speaking inside of organizations, it's like, look, if you haven't already had this conversation with the person you report to, it's a great conversation to have is to sit that person down and say, listen, let me get, let me tell you a few things. If you want to get the most out of me, you want to really get me fired up and like just all in, here's what you could do. Like basically give them a roadmap for how to inspire you. And then also at the same time, be willing to let them know if you want to really irritate me and stress me out and shut me down, <laughs> here's how that looks, right? Mm-hmm. So you can tell them proactively because every manager wants, they want any tips they can possibly get for how to manage and coach someone most effectively. So it's like being really coachable, but proactively giving your manager, your boss, feedback for how to coach you, for how to manage you, it'll make their job easier and it actually makes your job easier. And now it's trickiest when you have that sort of difficult boss or that tense relationship where you don't feel super safe with the person that you report to. That said, though, you can still have some version of that conversation and you'd be amazed at how open they'll be because it's actually a benefit to them. They're probably spending a lot of time and energy trying to figure out, you know, how to coach you and get the most out of you anyway, because that's part of their job. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I really do think it is, we're back to, it's being proactive. It's taking responsibility. It's not being scared and not making assumptions. I think that a lot of people make assumptions about how their boss is going to react. Oh, I can't do that. I can't ask for that. Well, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say no. Exactly. I mean, and really, you know, and if, if you get fired for being vulnerable or, or, and we're not talking about you come to work sobbing because you just got in a fight with somebody and, you know, yeah. expect everyone to stop working and cater to you. Like we're not talking about being an emotional, you know, bringing all of your emotions to work. We're, there's still a certain degree of professionalism and everything we're talking about. But I think yeah. sometimes we hide behind professionalism and, and stop being human. And that's exactly. what I love about this book is we're bringing the humanity back because I think part of the reason so many people want to work for themselves are not because they truly want to be an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is not super glamorous (laughs) in a lot (laughs) of ways. We were talking before we started recording about like what a book release is really like. However, I think that the desire is because they're just not happy at work. And they think that being, you know, on their own would be better. But I really think, you know, you can, you can be happy in a job, be happy in quote unquote corporate America. Um, if you take some responsibility for the happiness and not expect the job to do it for you. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think there's a lot of times, you know, you probably have this happen too, when you go and, and work with, or, or talk to people who work inside of companies. Oh, I want to do what you do. Oh, I want to, right. That's the, and, and I say often, and I love my work and I like, okay, if you really want to do this kind of work, are you, it's, it looks really fun and easy. There's a lot of challenging aspects to it right. behind the scenes, you know? And so I think you're right. And sometimes the desire to leave is really a, I don't want to have to deal with some of, you know, oh, the politics or the, all the stuff that people complain about. But the reality is we can create the kind of experience that we want in our work if yep. we're willing to. You know, and sometimes, I mean, over the years, even I have my own team, you know, like yours, there are times that I'll be inside of an organization 
and the energy is so positive and people are so all in and they're so excited about what they're doing. Like I'll walk away with a little feeling in my belly of like, Ooh, wow. Like, like it's just this, Ooh, that would be fun to yeah. be a part of a team or a group like that. Like they're really up to something that's super exciting. Right. And yeah. like, you know what I mean? And so I think we all want that to some degree. And the question then becomes, how do we create that? And, you know, back to what I said earlier about what Eleanor said to me, like nothing changes until we do. That's true. So like when we make that shift, right, it's like a lot of what you do and talk about and coach people on, on this show about. It's like, how do we make those shifts internally so that then our external world reflects that back to us? Mm, I love that. Ah, oh, such good stuff, Mike. Please <laughs> tell people where they can connect with you more, where they can get the book, any, any ways that they can utilize all your genius. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, the best place to connect with me is on my website, which is mike-robbins.com. And we have a special page on the site for the book. It's mike-robbins.com slash work. And one of the things, Christine, that I did to, to a couple of the questions you just asked, I recorded three hour long audio programs that were specifically for one for entrepreneurs, one for managers and leaders, and one for individual contributors, because mm. it's the, like the questions you were asking are actually, they're different depending on the roles that we play. And so when people order the book on that page, they can go back and then download those audio programs for free. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And people are seeming to, to enjoy those a lot. Beautiful, beautiful. Everybody go and get the book um, because I, I feel like this isn't just for people. This isn't just a workbook. This is really a personal development book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can tell by just the way Mike speaks. He's an incredible writer. And, and I really, I really have loved your books and they're, they're just such a, like I said, such like a great balance of that personal development and making it applicable to life. So go connect with Mike, follow him, get the book and really consider everything that, that we've talked about on this call about the power of vulnerability and about taking responsibility for shifting your work environment and taking some risks and being brave and not making assumptions about the people that you work with, your boss, your colleagues, things like that. and. I always say that the person who has the most consciousness in a relationship, in any relationship, has more responsibility. So if yeah. you are the only one in your company listening to podcasts like this, maybe you are the light worker at that company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? So so thank you for bringing that into our awareness, Mike. You're welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Any final words for our listeners? Things that, you know, if they were to take away one thing from you, from this interview, what you'd want them to leave with? Well, there's two things. One, first thing I want to say before we, you know, and I want to thank you because mm -hmm. you've been a real inspiration to me. And I want everybody listening to know this, like you're the real deal in how generous you are. Like I started my own podcast a little over, a little less than two years ago. And it was your coaching and your advice and your mentorship on that. So I'm just really grateful to you and excited that we're oh. having this conversation here right now. So thank you. My pleasure. And, and I would say this actually related to that as a final thought, like one of the things that I've learned over the course of my life and in my own career, and as I've been interviewing people specifically about this topic for the last two years, that every really successful and fulfilled person that I know and that I've interviewed and talked to, they have a ton of people in their lives who support them. And they've been able to navigate that journey and that process of being willing to embrace the vulnerability of asking for help and getting support when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very true. Thank you for that. I think that that's, that's another thing is it's great to listen to podcasts and read books, yep. 
but you need human support. Yeah. Human support. So for sure. Awesome. Beautiful, Mike. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, everybody, before you sign off, I want to tell you about a really cool podcast also on the Podcast One Network. The Lady Gang podcast is hitting you up every Tuesday and Thursday on Podcast One. Join Becca Tobin, Jack Vanak, and Khalid Knight. Join the amazing hosts as they talk to guests like Destiny's Child and Michelle Williams. Then answer your burning questions with Lady Gang quickies. Download the Lady Gang podcast at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. And always remember to rate and review. Also, I want to thank our sponsor, True Car. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anyone. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll need to pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Well, because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. 